Okay, then let's go ahead and begin. So yesterday, as we were looking at uh, chapter 11, we saw clearly that this prophecy applies to us. It is speaking of us. And so, uh, the glory of His return is being manifest all over the universe. And I use this example um, that, that the entire universe is lining itself up in the shape of a cross. And so, it's not that you are trembling in fear, but, the, but all the universe trembles at, at the thought of God. Do you know why tigers attack men? It's not because they, they look at men with disdain. It's because they're afraid. And because they're afraid, they try to hide their fear by attacking. It's the same thing with the devil. The devil knows that it's the end times right now. And they know the authority that we have as children of God. And so they're afraid. Now that power and authority that you normally have is being limited because of your bindings. And yet the devil is still afraid of you. And so in order to hide their weakness, they attack you. And also, though they know that they're weak, their nature, their essence is to rebel against the kingdom of God. And so if you live by the flesh, you will rebel against God. Because that strength comes from the hook of the Antichrist. And so the Antichrist is not attacking you because they think that they can win. No, their nature just rebels against God. And that is their destiny after they have fallen. And so no, well, it's the same that applies to you. If you don't live by the Spirit and live by the flesh, that flesh takes that destiny and, and lives for, for that defeat. So this it should not be, right? That is such a travesty. God wants to give us victory. And so in order to give us victory, He has provided the means to escape that fate. Right? We have already been victorious. They are finished. They have already been determined for defeat. And so there's not a single reason for us to fear the devil or fear the Babylon. Amen? And so, as, as um, the receivers of this amazing glory, this amazing prophecy, let us boldly go forth. Amen? So this is clearly speaking of us. And in these times... This, uh, the roar of the Lion of Judah is, is crying out. And when the lion roars, the animals tremble in fear, but the cubs find salt, find peace, right? And we are his 
cubs. Yes, we are his children. And so we need to draw near to that sound. Amen. And then so uh, chapter 11 verse 9 is a really important, or, or no, chapter 12 verse 9 is a very important uh, prophecy. Just as the flesh in its nature rebels against God, the children of God and Israel in their nature dies to themselves. And so when we die to ourselves, what is dying? The old self is dying. Why? Because the Holy One is in our midst. And so this flesh, when it looks, gazes upon Holy God, it will die. Because God was in the midst of Israel, the only thing that Israel should have done was to put their flesh to death. But because they did not put their flesh to death, they committed idolatry. Because they lived self-centeredly, they couldn't help but live for the flesh. And so why does Paul confess that he dies every day? It's not because he had a special faith or a special calling, but because this is the image of those who have the Holy One inside of them. And so, so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that uh, I put daily, put on, clothe myself with the death of Jesus Christ so that the life of Jesus Christ may be manifest inside of me. And so whatever I do, whatever I may uh, act upon, it's not my strength, but His life force moving through me. And so Paul clearly describes this in Philippians 4.11, that I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. This isn't arrogance, but this is the confidence that men of faith have. And so if you say you have no confidence and yet you live in the Holy Spirit, don't lie. You are not living in the Holy Spirit. If you live in the Holy Spirit and you live in faith, then there will be a strength that comes from out above heaven that will strengthen you. And it's hard to describe it with words, but the best way I could describe it is confidence. And so, a man of faith will not fear failure. They may fear evil. They will fear wickedness. But they will not fear failure. They will not fear trial and error. And so, with the confidence that comes from the faith of God, we cannot fail. And so if you're oppressed and powerless, this is clear evidence that you are not living by God. And so you need to realize this. That if you live by the Holy Spirit, you will be able to know your state at all times. And that's why in 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul says, Examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Am I living in the faith or not? You need to be able to clearly distinguish this in your life. So today, let's turn to chapter 12. And because uh, Hosea proclaimed restoration, in order to receive this restoration, what must we do? We must repent. Hosea has continually been speaking to the Israelites. Shuv, return, repent. And so in Greek, the word repent is metanoia. 
It means to make a U-turn. It means to turn back to God. And so the most important focus for our Christianity is to be aligned to God's direction. And so when we say Christianity is about grace, uh, this can bring up many different meanings. But above all else, it means that we live by the gift. We live by what God gives us. And because we live by gifts, how easy would life be? And so I always say that if you feel that it's difficult to live with God, that is a big problem. Because if it's difficult to live with God, then living with the world and living with demons is torture. Living with God is the easiest thing in the world. It's because you try to live with God with your flesh. That's why you feel like it's difficult. And so, if I, as I'm preaching, do you think that my words are difficult to accept? Be honest. Like, are my words difficult to accept? Does it feel as if, like, I have to, like, strain myself to preach? Hey, you in the back. You in the back. Chotewan. Uh, what do you think? Chotewan, why are you in the back over there? You come up here, okay? You come forward. And so let us repent. And we need to repent because we are being realigned to God. And this is really important. All these amazing revelations that God gives in the midst of His Word, if we had to make it tr come true ourselves, we would have to give up. God isn't giving His Word, His amazing scale to, to align with our potential, to align with our standards. No, rather He's saying that this is my standard, so you die to yourself so that I can raise you up to my standard. And so even if we just look at faith, the element of faith itself, why do we need faith? We need faith because what is faith? Faith is what makes the impossible possible. As we always say in Numbers, right? Uh, the Israelites were bitten by the serpents and it was, they, were, they were going to die. What if God was to say to them, go to the Jordan and bathe, then you'll get healed? Then they cannot live because they're in the wilderness, right? But the only thing God says to the Israelites is look up at the bronze serpent. Then the people who died, why did they die? Is it because they didn't have the ability? No, it's because they didn't believe. It's because they didn't believe and they didn't look up. And so the reason why they die is because of unbelief. And so from this perspective, what is faith? Faith is what makes the impossible possible. Not out of my efforts, In Hebrews, you also see this amazing revelation. And what does he demand of us in these revelations? Does he, there's one kid who has done 40-day fast six times. Okay, that you have to do 40-day fast six times in order to fulfill that word. Then that would give up. Okay, my house was a house of Buddhists. 
And I'm someone who comes from a family that's well known in Buddhist circles. And yet, do you know why I, I turned away from Buddhism? Because Buddhism demands so much from you. You have to sit when you sleep. You have to eat raw rice. Why would I sit in a, to sleep when, when, when there's this nice bed next to me? Why would I eat raw rice when I can cook that rice? And so I didn't like Buddhism. And so I got, I forsaken Buddhism. And then as life came by, I came to the, see the Bible. And when I saw the Bible, the Bible, it just struck a chord within me. I don't have to do anything. Just believe, just believe. Wow, how refreshing is that? And so that's why I came to believe in God. Excuse me. It's really, you don't have to do anything. And so if you think that, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so tired, then that's something's wrong. It means that you're trying to do it out of your own strength. That's why you feel that way. Even now, look, look throughout the year, look at how many times I preach. Look at how many times I go overseas. And imagine if this was done through my strength. Then 20 years ago, I would have already been in my grave. And so because I do everything through the strength of God, everything is a joy. Everything is a pleasure. So you should not think that it's me who does. Now, of course, because I do have the flesh, I do get exhausted. But, but do you think God doesn't consider that? God does not, God, do you think that God doesn't consider my physical exhaustion? And when I sleep, when I sleep, God gives me good rest that when I get up, I wake up. Oh, this was a secret. I shouldn't have said this. This is a secret. No, I'm tired. I'm tired. Because if, if people know this secret, they're going to think that they can ask me to do all kinds of conferences. No, 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 no. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. Oh, crap. I, 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 I let my secret go. And so let's continue. Direction. This is really important. And so if you are directed at him, he will do everything for you. As I said earlier in the prophecy, Right, God says to Israel that I gave them my laws by the tens of thousands. And if a person was to give you 10,000 laws, that would be a burden, right? But when, when the Creator God directs my life, every aspect of my life, that is peace. I don't need to make anything out of my own efforts. I don't need to uh, plan anything. Because... I know that my plans is not going to allow me to live like God. Our purpose is to live like God, right? Our purpose is to be like Jesus, right? That's what Jesus says, that those who believe in me will do these works and greater things, right? As it says in John uh, 14, 12. And so if I want to live like Jesus, can out of my efforts, can I make it possible? No, I need to put to death all my own possibility, my own potential, right? Think about all the amazing miracles that you have witnessed in Zoe ministry. Do you think that you can make this out of your efforts, out of your research? No. No, it's all something that God has to do. Even now, God is working. And so living out of your own strength is unbelief itself. 
Living out of your strength isn't just simply a matter of sin. It is you declaring to God that I will be God in place of you. And so let's say you're raising a child. And let's say you raise your child out of your own desire. That means you are not acknowledging that God will raise your child. And I'm a pastor. It's the same thing with your pastor ministry. If I uh, use my own personal philosophy in my pastor ministry, that means I'm declaring to God that this church is not yours. It's mine. And it'd be great if that church failed because then you would realize your mistake. But there are many times where that church will succeed. And not only just succeed, but lots of people gather to that church. Then that pastor is in danger. Because it's no longer the kingdom of God, but the king, their own kingdom. And so, if you live for yourself, it's a problem when you're successful. And maybe it's not a problem if you fail, because then you'll repent. But if you don't repent, then it's a failure. And also, even if you do repent, why waste the energy? Why waste the time? So what is the focus? The focus is, is that let us fix our eyes upon God. If we just need to keep our direction pointed at God. Amen. If you have your strength, you will not look to God. But if you put your strength to death, you will look to God. Those who look to God are those who are poor in spirit. That without God, I cannot live. The Lord, I need you. I need you. I need your grace. Those who have this poor spirit will always look to God. And so for this more depth of this, look at the sermon of the Beatitudes. So chapter 12, verse 1 to 6 is talking about the indictment of God to Israel and his call to repentance. So let's look at first the indictment of Israel. Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. Uh, that, it means that they became the enemy to God. And so in chapter 11, God has, was continually calling Israel. So we talked about this word kara yesterday, right? And this word kara is, has great significance. That the king of all kings is the only one who can call, who can call Israel. And so there are many ways you can translate the word kara, but kara in the context of this prophecy means that it is uh, the calling of the king. And so a child of God, apart from God, cannot be called by anything else. For example, let's say that I am someone who is, who is the servant of this president, but we live in uh, the city of Cheongwang. And let's say the mayor of Cheongwang uh, tries to command me. Is that possible or not? No, he'll be fired the next day as mayor. And so this is, you need to understand how, what a travesty it is when the world moves you, when the devil moves you. And so when God calls, just draw near. And so this word kara has the significance of intimacy. So let us go draw nearer to God and look at all the words that are, uh, that are used to God is that God draws near. 
that though you have been cast, though you have gone far from God through the power of the blood, look at how close God has come to you. So that's why uh, intimacy and reverence go hand in hand. This cannot happen in the, in the relationship with men, but with God, uh, the fear of the Lord and intimacy of the Lord go hand in hand. They have the same influence spiritual, in the spiritual. Uh, and so if you are close to God, you will worship God, you will fear God, and you will, when you fear God, you will be close to God. It's the same spiritual root. And so they needed to get close, but because they went away, because they went away, they became enemies of God. As it says clearly in Romans 8, 5, that the thoughts of the, that the, thoughts of the flesh is rebellious against God. So whether it's the Old Testament or New Testament, it is clear in this relationship. And so God is continually calling us, amen? And so if you look at it from the perspective of John, when he's continually calling us, it means that he's continually drawing near to you. He's continually approaching you. Then what should we do? Then we should open up our spirit and welcome him in. Amen? And those who welcome him are those who will uh, find him. When we deny that, when we reject that, that's when we are under judgment. Why do we reject it? As it says in John 3.18, because we love the darkness more than the light. And those who love the darkness more than the light are already condemned. They're already judged. That already they are under judgment. This is a very delicate relationship with God. We need to keep looking to the light. We need to keep receiving God. If not, we'll look to the world and we'll look to darkness. And when we look to the world, when we look to the darkness, we are already under judgment. So we need to hurry up and turn back. This is delicate. That's why I say salvation is vigilance. Hallelujah. And so let's continue. It says that uh, they multiply falsehood and violence. And so we've been continually talking about this throughout the book of Hosea. Those who live for themselves are is the definition of evil. And so when the Bible says evil, what does it mean? It means that you live for yourself. You live out of yourself. It's not, oh, if you attend church, you're righteous. If you don't attend church, you're evil. No, even if you attend church, if you live for yourself, you are evil. This is the uh, meaning of, of, of evil in the Bible. If you live for yourself, you will do wicked things. If you live for your own desires, you will do wicked things. And so when you lose the righteousness of God, that is wickedness. And so you need to acknowledge this. That everything that we do under God, He seals it and He acknowledges it, right? And so Hayoni is... Hayomi is playing the piano. And why does this bring joy to her? Because God acknowledges it. That's why she's filled with joy. But let's say that she puts on a mad face. Why? Because God doesn't acknowledge it. And so whatever we do, we, we find contentment in God's acknowledgement. And that's where there's significance. And that's where there's glory. But if you live for yourself, that doesn't happen. And then, so what is falsehood? Falsehood is the methodology of living for yourself. So it's not because you lie directly. 
But when you live for yourself, you will use lies, you will use falsehoods to benefit yourself. That you're willing to use lies for yourself. That if your honor is to be broken because of the truth, then you're willing to lie. There was once, um, there was once a pastor at our church, and he lit a fire in the mountain behind us over there accidentally. And one of our students saw him light that fire. So he said to the pastor, Pastor, you light, lit the fire, didn't you? And do you know what he said immediately? No, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. <laughs> And so it was in that moment, but what, what was surfacing? It was his self-centered nature. I have done similar things. Okay, I was parking the car, and there was a car already parked next to me. And I didn't know that there was a person in the car. And so I got a little bit too close, and I scratched the car. But it was so slight that I didn't even notice. But I knew, I, I honestly, honestly, I knew that I did scratch the car. And so I was just going to leave. But the person laid down, rolled down his window. And he said, hey, you should be careful. And in that moment, do you know what I said? I should have said, oh, I'm sorry. But I said, did I bump you? <laughs> this is something that I've already repented of. That's why I can, I can say it like this. Oh, and yet it's embarrassing. <laughs> right, I acted as if I didn't know. Did I bump you? And so see, look, when people live for themselves, it's wickedness. Everything that they say is a lie. Even their breathing is a lie because you have to breathe in faith. And so you think that you breathe because you're healthy. No, if God takes your health, what, how are you, what are you going to do? We saw this happen through the coronavirus, right? You can't breathe. <sighs> right, during the coronavirus. The guy who's sitting in front of you guys, well... You know, he's kind of in front of you guys. But anyways, <laughs> and then so um, they multiply falsehood and violence. And so this multiply is talking about um, fruit. And so again, this isn't about actions, but it's talking about your being. And so when you live for yourself, when you live self-centeredly, then you are always under deception. You're always under falsehood. What are you declaring? You're declaring that I do not need God, that I can do it out of my own strength, that I am more than able to do, solve this problem. And so this state that does not acknowledge God is falsehood. And so if you live self-centeredly, you will not acknowledge God. Everything is your own method, your own ways. Your entire being bears fruit of falsehood. And so when the world ends, all men will stand before God. And of course, sins that they are aware of will be revealed. But 98% of the sins that will be revealed at the end judgment are things that they did not recognize. Because when they live for themselves, they will not recognize sin. They themselves are, is iniquity. 
But conversely, what about us? As children of God, in our being, we are righteous, right? And so as I said earlier, we are not sinners because we sin. No, we sin because we are sinners. If you live all the day long for the self-centeredly, then all you do will continually sin. And so whether that sin actually gets acted upon or not, so whether that sin actually happens or not, this, the strength of the old self inside of me continually grows and multiplies. And whenever it takes, whenever the opportunity presents itself, it bears fruit. And so, look, there's only one way. Believe in the righteousness of God and live in the new self. Align your direction to His direction and walk towards Him. If you do not live in the new self, it doesn't matter who you are. You will live in iniquity. You will live in sin. And so when he talks about Ephraim, he's talking about northern Israel. And now he's going to talk about southern Judah. Uh, uh, but Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Uh, he's doing chapter 11, verse 12. I thought he was doing 12, verse 1. Surrounded me with lies. Oh, now it makes more sense. Okay, so surround me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, so here it says that Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. And so um, it seems as if Judah is better, but think about this. They receive more love, and yet, so that's why the sin gets more. So uh, right here, faithful means that God... Right means that you believe in God, right? You have trust in God, faithful. And when God is faithful to you, it means God trusts you. He has faith in you. What does it mean that he has faith in you? And so though the Korean Bible has a lot of wrong translations, the Chinese translation, the Chinese Bible is, is very serious. There's a lot of problems with the Chinese Bible. And I, I got so shocked at, at the translation of this Chinese Bible. And the reason why I talk about original languages is not to um, be arrogant or, or to seem sophisticated. No, it's because we want to see the original meaning. And so when we are faithful, it means God trusts us. God has faithful, faith in us. God does not doubt you. And so when God trusts you, what does it mean? The point is, is that if God forgives us, if he deals with sin, he's not going to think that he's not going to think that, oh, he's going to sin one day. No, he's God is omniscient. right? And he sees my life as all all at once. And yet he just chooses not to know beforehand that I'm going to sin again. And if you expand this interpretation, it means that God has given up his omniscience regarding you. This is expression of love. Let's say, for example, I punished my children for doing wrong, for being misbehaving. 
And when I, if I forgive them, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm going to think, oh, he's going to misbehave again? Oh, tomorrow he's going to misbehave again? Then that's not forgiveness. Okay, even man has this tendency. How much more would God have this tendency when he knows all things? And so the fact that he has faith in us means he has given up all of this. What do you think is more difficult? Weak man not, uh, uh, not having doubt or, or fighting against doubt or God who is omniscient, omnipotent fighting against doubt? And so don't think that you know how God thinks. Okay, the fact that God came in the flesh, this is such great significance. Let's say I have a child and I am a very rich man, a rich, rich man, filthy rich. And let's say that because I couldn't give him $100, he died. Do you, do you think that would cause more suffering or let's say a poor man who has no money uh, uh, when his child dies, which, which one do you think causes more suffering? And so the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells within you means that he has entrusted his entire being to you. And so when you unbelieve, when you have disbelief, God cannot move inside of you. When you doubt, the Holy Spirit cannot work inside of you. And so, and so from his perspective, the fact that his Holy Spirit dwells within you is a great risk that he has taken. The fact that he put on the flesh means that he has laid down his entire glory, his entire honor, his entire um, nobility. And for only what? For what? For one reason, because of love. Because he loved you, he's willing to give all of these things up. And so when you say God is love, this is what you need to understand. What is his love that, 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 that loves us so? Like, Why can we call it agape? Why did all the forefathers of faith um, humble themselves before this love? And why for this love were they willing to lay down their lives? It's because of this great love. And so right now, at the same time, upon all of you, God is pouring out this love. And as it says in Romans 5.8, that God demonstrates His love, right? He pours out His love like buckets of water being poured out upon you. Some is receiving it. Others can only feel a little bit. Others can't feel it at all. And so it's not that God's not pouring out that love. It's how much are you able to receive that love? We need to open up our hearts wide, brothers. And receive the powerful love of God that sets our hearts on fire. Amen? Oh no, big problem. I haven't even gotten to verse 1 yet. And so, this faithful God does not doubt me. He does not doubt me. And that's why he is more than able to forgive you and to erase your sins. And he is the Holy One. We talked about this word, holy one, right? What does it mean that he is holy? Everything of God is, is the only thing, only way, only one way. And so it means nothing in this world can compare. Only 
the only love. That's why we say our God is Echad. Our God is one. He is unique. He is the only one. And so that's why everything is unitary. It's monoism, not, not dualism. There is no conflict. It's not multiple choice. It's not choice between A and B. No, it's only, is it God's will or not? Because He is the only way. Amen? And so the only way, only one. Amen? So this is what Deuteronomy 6 emphasizes. And because He is holy, everything that He gives us is set apart, is consecrated. Nothing in this world can compare to it. And so let's say God gives you money. Then do you think that that money is the same as another person giving you money? No, definitely not. The things that God gives you is the best. As I said yesterday, we talked about the porter potty, right? Uh, the bedpan or the chamber pot. Who gives it to you is what is what's important, not what is given that is important. And so if you believe in who he is as the Holy One, you would recognize this. And so the name that God has is the only one name. And the fact that he gave us this holiness means that he has given you his everything. He has never said to the angels that be holy for the Lord your God is holy. No, only to Israel, only to his children has he given his holy name. And so even with this fact alone, we can see God's will to make us like him. Amen. And so as I always say, when you meet with God properly, there will be two clear uh, things that happen. Your nobility, your dignity will rise up to the heavens like God, right? As it says, he who is holy and those who are being made holy are of the same essence. God says even to the point that you are the praise of my glory. But at the same time, what happens? You become humble. You lower yourself to the ground. You may think that there are two opposite directions. How can they happen at the same time? But those who meet with God will know what I'm talking about. And so those who meet with God will not be arrogant. They will not be arrogant. And so if these two things uh, are found inside of you, that means you have met with God properly. Your dignity grows and grows. It's so great. Then, then are you going to suffer because you don't have anything in the world? Are you going to despair because you lack something in the world? No. No, this dignity that transcends heaven, and yet at the same time, I am humble, humble, that without God, I am nothing. And so we need to be faithful to the Holy One who is faithful. And so... So we need to be the state that can continue to receive his faithfulness and be able to receive his holiness. And so that's why when we say not being shaken, we can say it's direction. If you look at James 1.8, it says that if uh, he is not without two hearts and so he is, there's, he is not shaken. And so let's say I gave Kim Min-sung something. I throw something at him. 
and then he just needs to catch it. But let's say that when he tries to catch, he shakes. He shakes. And so, so the target gets missed. That's what Judah is happening to Judah right now. I trust Judah. And God wants to give the best at all times, and he is consecrated. And whenever he wants to give something, they shake. There are some amongst you who are in this spiritual state. And because they have two hearts, they cannot receive from God. It's the same thing with prayer. Those who are shaken, it's not that God's not giving to you. Even if he gives, you can't receive. And so you know baseball, yes? Do you know baseball? Have you ever played baseball? Okay. When the pitcher pitches, who receives the ball? The catcher, right? The catcher. Too bad she doesn't know baseball. <laughs> and so the catcher, no matter what pitch the pitcher may throw, the catcher needs to be able to catch it, right? And so whether it's a fastball or a curveball or a screwball or knuckleball or a curveball, do you guys know baseball? No? Okay. It's okay. Even if he throws a ground ball, the catcher needs to receive that ball. That when, But let's say that the ball comes to the right and he moves to the left. The ball goes to the left and he goes to the right. Then that catcher can no longer play. He gets fired. But many of you are like this. Why? Because you have two hearts. What does it mean that you have two hearts? It means that you are divided inside yourself. <coughs> and so what is this talking about? It's talking about you being mixed. That with their lips they confess Yahweh. But their methods of life, their motivation for life is in the world. And so their hearts is divided within themselves. And so even though God wants to give, they switch their directions. This is the image of those who live by the flesh. When you live by the flesh, this is what happens. And so they should not expect to receive anything from God. And so it's not because God doesn't want to give to you, but this happens when you live in the flesh. As your flesh gets strong within you, you are double-minded. And so you are unstable. Oh, I finished only verse 1. Okay, if I don't finish chapter 13 or chapter 14, Malaysia is going to tell me, ask me to come to Malaysia. I'm not even going to piss in the direction of Malaysia. Okay, let's move on to chapter 12, verse 2. No, chapter 12, verse 1. Ephraim feeds on the wind. And so the, what is the wind? It's talking about the world. What is world? Idolatry. And so if you live by the world, you are as vapid as the wind. You are as empty as the wind. It doesn't matter how much money you earn in this world. When you die, none of that money is going to follow you. And so when you live by the world, life is empty. Life is vain. And pursues the east wind all day long. 
and this east wind, this is kind of, how should we describe this? East wind is the withering wind, right? The wind that dries out Israel. So whenever there was a plague of locusts, they would ride the east wind. And even when the Red Sea was split, it was the east wind that split the sea. So either way, this east wind dries up the land. And so, because it dries up the land, everything gets parched, everything gets, becomes empty. So remember, the reason why Israel serves Baal and serves the world is because they want prosperity. And as we said earlier, they cannot be, uh, have riches because God is the master of riches, not Baal. And so everything gets dried up. They multiply falsehood and violence. Israel should influence the world with holiness. But, and so as I said earlier, falsehood doesn't get multiplied. And so regarding this problem, look at your spiritual state. Because it's not just simply involving you. That's why the community is so important. Look as it says in Hebrews 12, 15. That bitter roots doesn't just torture you, doesn't just torment you, but also affects the people around you. And so look. To the people of the world, this doesn't matter what they do, right? However they live, it doesn't matter. Because either way, God doesn't, isn't concerned with them because they are under judgment. Now, of course, God has love for them and mercy for them. But what I mean is, is that when it comes to sin, the only thing God can do is judge. To the wicked, the only thing God can do is judge. And so if you don't want to repent, if you don't want to be separated from wickedness, it doesn't matter how much you seek God. Regarding this, God is very cold. And I'm, it's a strange way to describe this. But because it has nothing to do with God, right? The only uh, posture... The only posture God has to sin is to cover over it with his blood in order to forgive it. But if you reject that, then God cannot do anything. And when you think about it from the context of God's amazing love, then you know what? If they reject that amazing love, then it's natural for them to be judged. And so I always say this. That whenever God judges a man, there's, he will be persuaded. That if God was to judge man for no reason, then this, this isn't biblical what I'm saying right now. But that means that there's always a chance for restoration. But Israel has this chance for restoration, right? And so, and so if you don't have that desire to turn from sin, and yet you say God is love, this is, this is a problem. 
Because then when you think that, where is that going to lead to? It's going to lead to, if God is love, why did he create hell? This is the problem, right? This is the problem. And so right here, God is not talking to the world. He's not concerned with the world. He's talking to Israel. And so your holiness isn't just a matter of your own holiness. What you need to understand is that when you are polluting your holiness, you are also polluting the people around you. That's why it says that they multiply falsehood and violence. That they multiply falsehood and violence. And so if you ignore evil inside the community, this is great danger. And so that's why I always say in the church, it's important to be transparent. Because the community is one family, we need to be transparent. You saw during the pandemic, because one person gets caught, everyone catches it, right? And so if you were separate, you would not have caught the coronavirus. And so in the same way, in the community, when there's wickedness in one person, it pollutes everyone. That's why what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians? Either you will uh, be an aroma of Christ or uh, the smell of death. And so, are you putting out the aroma of Christ? So, smell each other, sniff each other, sniff each other. Can you smell the aroma of Christ? Is this lotion that you're smelling, or are you smelling the aroma of Christ? Oh, you're lying. You're lying. That's humanism. So remember, Christianity isn't about the individual. It's not about just you. No, it's the community, the family. You are under, and, and you are under all that influence, and you influence each other. And so that's why I say you need to be vigilant. It's about vigilance. And so they make a covenant with Assyria, and oil is carried to Egypt because they live self-centered. They commit idolatry. They live a life that worship strength like Babylon. And so they make a covenant with Assyria and oil is carried to Egypt, trying to be allies with the great nations. <coughs> and so this must be clear that world and God has nothing to do with each other. If you live with the world, you are selling your dignity. And so above all else in Zoe ministry, I think this is something that I have clearly shown you. I have clearly shown you the flag that needs to be waved. So moving on to verse 2. The Lord has an indictment against Judah. And so the fact that there's an indictment means that there's still hope. They are under trial, but there's still hope. To us, there is no trial, right? There is no accusation. There is no shame. It's all finished. It's no longer just just simple forgiveness, but the entire uh, influence of sin has been completely erased. 
And so when we think of this, uh, then repentance is gain. It's profitable. And so let us repent deeply every day. Amen? Amen? Okay, let's pick up the pace a little bit. Follow, follow after me well, okay? And so the indictment means that they are, they are under trial, but there's still hope. If you look at Zechariah 3, right, God already closed Judah with, with the clothes of righteousness. And so we need to receive that righteousness rather than constantly fighting against the guilt that the devil accuses you with. And I will punish Jacob according to his ways. Again, this is unfair. Israel are not beings who are to be paid for their actions. So on the kingdom of heaven, when you meet with God and God asks you, why are you here? How should you answer? Oh, because I'm a good man. I'm here because I'm a good man. Is that why you are in heaven? No, 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 no. Because of your righteousness. That's what's important, right? And so we are not to uh, be repaid for according to our deeds. If we are judged based on according to our deeds, then that's no longer Israel. That's why this is a tragedy. So receive this fact in faith. Under the same context, if you do one and receive one, that is the world, not Israel. That is not grace. Grace is if you do one, you receive 30, 60, 100. I'm not saying be greedy, but because who we serve is God, we have fellowship with God. It's not about me making something. And so for this reason, I have to live a life that God makes. And when God makes, it goes 30, 60, 100 and full. I'm not telling you to receive lots of blessings. No, what I'm saying is don't live by your strength. Don't live by your efforts. Don't live by your methodology. That's what this emphasis is on. That if he pays you one for doing one, doing, giving you based on what you've done, Right, we saw this in the parable of the vine vineyard, right? Right, the guy who works from nine o'clock also one denarii. The guy who works from twelve o'clock also one denarii. The one who worked at starting at three also one denarii, and the one who worked at five also one denarii. The ones who came at nine o'clock complained, complained. Why do I get paid the same as the other guys? This is the context of the world. It's all grace. It's all grace, right? Election in itself is grace. You have been chosen. That's it. We do not live based on our works. And so when I say thirty. 600 fold, it doesn't mean that you're going to be a rich man all of a sudden. No, I'm talking about the, the essence of God's grace. When we live by God, this will automatically happen inside of us. And so as I said earlier yesterday, that what Jesus Christ has done inside of us is brought back God's perfect reign over Israel while they were wandering in the wilderness. And so what is the focus of this, of, of the golden rule is do not worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. Look at this world going on right now. It's getting harder and harder. It's getting, inflation is going up and up. Even if they work hard, they don't know where their next meal is going to come. And yet God says to you, do not worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. 
But look at what happened in this church. Uh, even after the pandemic, we're sending more money out into the world. Do you know how much it costs to do this conference here? We're still using it. You should save, you should save, save because the pandemic and we need to cut corners. No, no. Do you know how expensive it is to do a conference in Costa Rica? More than $600,000. I don't know how much it's going to cost to do a conference in Israel that we're going to have in September. But God doesn't, is not concerned with how much you're going to spend, how much you need. No, what's important is, is it God's will or not? And so look, in this Zoe ministry that is very small, in this Yavon church that is very small, do you know how much money that this church has used just on missions alone? More than $70 million, $7 million. How is that possible? It's this God's methods. So I'm not concerned with money. And so for me, money, people, the world, it's separation. Separation. Through separation, God's dominion it manifests itself. I have the authority to rule over money, rule over people, rule over the world. That is what this is about. It's not about, oh, let's make lots of money. No, that's not what it's about. And even right now, you need to see that you're receiving this blessing. The blessing of faith, the blessing of prosperity, the blessing of leadership. All of these things is what God uses to bring about this blessing. Amen. And so look, he will repay him according to his deeds. This is not how we are to live. This is not our calling. And so what travesty that he will repay them according to his deeds. This is the world, not Israel. And so you all know the cross, yes? And so when it says repay him, this is the word um, God visit them. It, when God visit, it's a good thing. And yet now God's visit to Israel, Israel is going to be destroyed. And so I bless you that God will visit you. Amen. And when God visits you, good things must happen. Amen. But if you live for the self, the opposite happens. So let's continue. Verse 3 to 6. Now he's calling them to repentance. Up until this point, it was showing them their sin. And so now, repent. Let us repent. And so, you know, and to describe this repentance, who does he talk about? He talks about Jacob. Jacob has positive aspects in his life. He has negative aspects in his life. And Hosea is using his negative aspects to call us to repent. And so Jacob, as their forebearer, he's kind of a very bad example, right? And there's many like you who here, seated here, who are like Jacob, you know, um, treacherous. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel. So look at how greedy he is, that even from the moment of birth, that he has to get what he wants. He has to have his way, even from birth. Right? He's holding on to his heel because I want to be the firstborn. Wow, look at how treacherous this guy is. Fully self-centered, right? He's so selfish. 
he, he is the pinnacle of what it means to live for yourself. So raise your hand if you think this describes you. There's many of you who are like this, actually. And so, what is Jacob's name? Or what is his motto? Is make the impossible possible. That is his motto for his life. Right? Uh, human potential. And you think that if you live this way, you would be victorious, right? No, this life will end in tragedy. And if you live by the things that God does not grant, it will be taken from you. Everything will be taken from you. And so from the moment he was born, he was selfish. Which is interesting because his mother Rachel and Isaac weren't like this. Who, who does he resemble? With these kinds of kids, you need to beat them. <laughs> and in his manhood, he strove with God. And so what does this picture of uh, the, 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 when he wrestled with God at the banks of the Jabbok? But this is the blessing of Israel, right? That God doesn't leave his children to live by their own strength. And so God intervenes in the life of Israel no matter what. And so examine your own life. I live by my thoughts. I live self-centered. I live by my strength. And yet, why doesn't God intervene? And so you got to be able to clearly uh, calculate this. Either God is going to intervene soon, or you are illegitimate child. Right? That, that's terrifying, right? We both are terrifying, but the... But it's better to be wait for the intervention than 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 to be illegitimate. But uh, these people, God will soon intervene. He will hit you, strike your hip very soon. And so he intervenes in the life of Jacob, right? And so, as you remember in Jessica, uh, Genesis. 32, 33, 34, uh, when, when Jacob fights with God, he's re- Jacob is returning home, but Esau f- looks for him. And even there, look at what Jacob does, this treacherous man. Right, how shameful. <coughs> he sends his children and his wife first. And so if, if Esau kills them, he'll run away. Look at this. As a father... As a husband, he's a failure, right? How shameful. And so he sends his children and his wife across the Jabbok first, but he stays on the banks, and so God seeks him out, right? It says the angel came to him, right? But either way, God comes to him. And, and so he starts to wrestle with God and at the beginning he probably thinks that this is a spy sent by Esau but he soon realizes that that's not the case and yet he still desires to overcome and be victorious so that's what this is talking about here so verse 4 he strove with the angel and prevailed he strove with the angel and prevailed. And so this is described in Genesis chapter 33. But it says that he wrestled with a man. 
And you can see this as Jesus Christ before he comes. But whoever it is, that's not what's important. But in 32.25, it says that this man could not overcome Jacob. What does this mean? That if you live by your strength, you will not submit to God. So it's describing Jacob's life of the flesh. And so what does he do? He strikes his hip. Right, this hip joint right here. And so because it gets struck, he can no longer avail his strength. Now, of course, Hosea says that he strove with the angel and prevailed. But our Bible says a man, right? He strove with a man. And then in verse 26, because Jacob can no longer use his strength, what does he do? He can't fight, right? Because he doesn't have the strength anymore. So this is where his life changes, transforms. Up to this point, Jacob tried to possess everything he desired. He struggled, struggled, and struggled so that he could he could uh, make his life in his image. And so, brothers, amongst you, many of you are struggling, struggling so that your life to make your life. Do not struggle, brothers. Stop. You're struggling as if you're drowning in a body of water. You struggle. But as his hip was struck, he gives gives up on his own strength. And so no longer is he struggling, but he clings to God. He clings to God. So brothers, we need to have our hips struck and realize that we cannot live by my strength and transform from a struggling life to a clinging life. And so this is how we need to begin. This is the reset that we need. The reset that we need that goes from struggling to clinging. Amen? And so what does it say in Genesis? That he struggled against God and man and prevailed. What does this mean? When he prevails against God, he's talking about Jesus who he wrestled with on the banks of the Jabbok. But what about men then? If you live by the flesh, you cannot be victorious over God. You will be broken. But when you rely upon God and live by God, God loses to you on purpose. And that's what is described here in Genesis when it says, Jacob prevailed. For example, just as a grandfather, as he plays with his grandson, loses to his grandson, in the same way, God loses to his children. So we need to live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Because you let go of your strength and rely upon God, God loses to you. But if you try, and because you prevail, Jacob's life is now victorious over men. And so Jacob meets with Esau. 
and if they cling to each other and embrace each other in love, right? And if you look at Proverbs, those who is at peace with God are at peace with their enemies. Because we are prevail against God, we can prevail against people. It's when you have spiritual authority that you have personal authority. It's when you have spiritual authority that you have material authority. This is clearly shown to you through the life of Jacob. Amen? And so what else does he say? Uh, he, he wept and sought his favor. In Genesis, we see Jacob cry twice. And he is treacherous. He doesn't... Look at how wicked he is. He rarely cries. He cried twice. First, when he met Rachel, when he arrived at Laban's house. Of course, he's going to marry Rachel later. But I think he was using this to seduce her from the beginning. Oh, Rachel, I weep, I weep. And so he hugged her, trying to seduce her, right? Thinking to himself that, oh, you're going to be mine eventually. And what, when does, does he cry? When he meets with his brother Esau, he hugs him and weeps. And then so this word here where it says, uh, sought his favor, it means to bow down, right? To bow down. As he meet with his brother Esau, he bows low. And, and what does he say to his brother? That now that I look upon your face, it's as if I'm seeing the face of God. Is he just flattering his brother? No, because his heart is filled with the love of God. That though Esau was like his enemy, no longer does he see him as an enemy, but he sees him as God, right? And so his heart has been completely transformed. And so examine yourselves, okay, brothers, as we talk about this. He met God at Bethel. And again, there's two instances where Jacob meets with God in Bethel. First, when he go on his way to Bethel, he on his way to Laban's home, he dreams at Bethel, right? He dreams. Right, and, and he establishes the, the, the stone and says that this is the house of God. And here he deals with God, right? He, he tries to make a deal with God. He says that, Lord, he says, Lord, if you help me to come back home safely, I will tie the tenth of everything I have to you. Right, he's, he's still crazy. But the second time is in Genesis 35. Okay, so after being struck by his in, uh, on his hip, he finally came to his senses. And, and yet, God told him to go to Bethel. But he doesn't go to Bethel and rather wanders in the world. He, and so the grace that he received on the banks of the Jabbok starts to fade from within him. And so he goes to Shechem, enjoying the joys of the world, and his daughter Dina gets raped. And then, and then his sons deceive the people of Shechem and kill them all. Which means that, and as news of this spreads, all the Canaanites want to kill Jacob's family. And so he is in the dangerous point, right? And so Jacob uh, comes to his senses and says, Ah, God told me to go to Bethel, but since I went to the world, this is why I'm in such trouble. So he goes back to Bethel. And he throws away all the idols, buries it under the terebinth tree. 
Now, even in the midst of this, Jacob was worshiping God. I'm sure he probably prayed, but he was losing that grace. It was just religious prayer rather than gracious prayer. And so he goes, he returns to Bethel and there he meets with God again. And we call this the new Bethel. This is the event of the new Bethel. Even though it's the same Bethel, it's a new Bethel. And so what does happens there? And there God spoke with us. And so as he acknowledges his spiritual state, he repents to God. And as he repents, he has proper worship with God. And so God meets with him. And so in Genesis 35, what does God say to Jacob at Bethel? He confirms his amazing blessing and, and reassures him his covenant. And so what is Hosea saying to Israel? Israel, you, you as well repent and go to the new Bethel, then God will bless you. And the same promise applies to you, brothers. Let us, let us put away all religious rites, all of our filthy clothes, let us wash them and meet with God at the new Bethel in glorious worship. Then God will reconfirm his blessing and covenant with us. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, he is the same and he... He remains the same. So moving on to verse 5. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. And so he's calling them to repentance. But this is a little awkward in phrasing, right? But in Hebrew, it says this. The Lord that his name is the God of hosts. So the Lord, uh, and his memorial name is, his memorial is the God of hosts. And so in Korean, in Korean, instead of memorial, it says remember. And so it's like you're trying to remember once. No, but this memorial is about eternity, right? Eternity, it has the context of eternity. So if you look at Zechariah 6, there is a, uh, we see the scene of those who are victorious over Babylon becoming king, right? Tobiah and Ham. And he says to, the, to have a memorial for their names, to remember their names. And we see also in Zephaniah 3, who are the children of God? It's not just simply, oh, you live on this earth and then die and then go to heaven. Know that for all eternity, your name is under praise and glory for all mem in memorial. And so even just being remembered for all eternity would be great. But who remembers you is what's, what's at stake here. The, the fact that the king of all kings remembers, this is amazing, right? 
For example, we know Mary, right? Look at Mary. Mary broke the jar and, and anointed Jesus' feet with perfume. And what does Jesus say to her? What does Jesus say to the disciples? He says this. What does he say? That what this woman has done will be remembered through wherever this gospel is preached. And so even now, Jesus is speaking to Mary. Mary, look, Pastor Mino came is speaking of you. And so throughout eternity, what she has done is being acknowledged even from the beginning of time. And so our reward isn't just simply, simply a golden bar that we receive. No, our reward is praise and honor from the king. And that's what this memorial signifies. And so who should Israel memorialize? They should memorialize the name of the Lord, the God of hosts. What is the God of hosts? It means that he is the master of the heavenly armies. He is the ruler. And so we should never forget his name. Are you following after me, brothers? Amen? Do not lose his name. Why? Because he is Yahweh Elohim. What is Elohim? Elohim is Almighty God that created this universe. What is Yahweh? Yahweh is I exist in myself. It's the God who came and intervened in our lives, directly in our lives, who has fellowship directly with our lives. So when we meet with God, we need to meet with both Elohim and Yahweh. This doesn't mean that there's two gods. No, there's one God. And in that God, we need to meet with both natures. Elohim, all-powerful nature, right? As we said, Elohim signifies power. And so it's even used to talk about Baal but if we only look for power the, the problem is, is that we end up serving Baal it needs to not just be power but also with El, with Yahweh God who has relationship with me and so all creation needs to live with this needs to okay uh, the world lives by this falsehood they think that it's all about uh, cause and effect cause and effect but Yahweh is not about cause and effect. He is never bound. His decision is final. And so if we live by God, we also live by that power. Oh, because I don't have money, I went to work. Oh, because of this person, I went that way. No, we do not live by cause and effect. We live by the will of God. Because God wanted me there, I went there. God wanted me there, so I go there. Okay, if I went there and I was I went bankrupt, no, God told me to go there, and so it doesn't matter. I still went there. And so, if you if you have relationship with He who is, if you have relationship with I am, you will not be bound. But it's because you live by cause and effect that you're always bound and bound. And so, what we need to remember is that God is life to Israel, and so because they memorialize this, they can repent at all times. Ah, uh, this almighty God and this God of Yahweh God, I did not live by him. And so memorialize that. Remember that every day. And so from the perspective of theology, this amazing name, God came to this earth and gave his Holy Spirit within me. 
then this word that has been commanded to Israel is fulfilled in us. As it says in Romans 8, 16, that the Holy Spirit within you, within you declares that you are child of God. Continually says to you, in 1 Corinthians 2, 10, what does it say? That he knows the depths of your heart and the depths of God's soul, meeting, bringing to you together. And so the Holy Spirit memorializes this inside of me, memorializes continually, confirming who you are, confirming your identity. And so when? When you do good things? No. Even when you sin, that you are my child. You are my child. This is who you are to me. You are my child. I am the God of, of hosts. I am the Almighty God. I dwell within you. He's continually confirming that inside of you. Continually memorializing inside of you. And so, as long as Israel does not turn away from this, does not ignore this, then they would repent. But they forgot that name. They did not memorialize that name. So even now, is that name moving inside of you? So frankly speaking, as Jesus Christ came to this earth, through everything he'd done, he made you a new creation. And so from that perspective, within you, this memorial is rising up always. What is the blood of Christ? As it says in Hebrews 12, 28, 23, that that blood is the blood that speaks continually memorializing inside of you and what does it say? that you are righteous you are righteous you are righteous you are righteous continually memorializing the fact what does the Holy Spirit say? you are the child of God you are the child of God what does the word say? you are God's heir you are heirs you are heirs of God that I am able to make you be my heir and so, as you become the temple, this memorial, this memorial rises up inside of you. And so, this new creation, as it rises up inside of you, radiates that glory. As, isn't this the prophecy of Isaiah 4? That I will make you my tent, and my pillar of fire, my pillar of cloud will lead you. Amen? And so we need to memorialize his name. Amen? Then God will continually confirm these things inside of me. And anything that I do wrong, I can repent. And so moving on to verse 6. Amen. I want you to go to Malaysia. <laughs> okay, so verse six. So you. And so this amazing God is our God. And so you, by the help of your God, return. And so this is why we can return. Because he can solve all things. He can erase the iniquity of Israel. And so when we return, we are not being judged. Rather, he has already finished and is waiting for us. Just as uh, the father was already waiting for the prodigal son to return, 
in Isaiah chapter 40, even before Israel was taken to Babylon, God was already prepared, uh, God already forgave Israel and waits for them. If he didn't forgive, then there's a lot of ch uh, changing factors, right? If we return, we might be broken, we might be beat. That's dangerous. I, I used this example before, right? Amongst one of my friends, there was a friend I had that loved to play the guitar. And then so his dad got mad because his son only played the guitar and didn't study. And so he broke the guitar. And so he ran away from home. And so the father looked for him and so sent out a message that I bought a new guitar, it's waiting for you, so come back home. So he went back home. And when he got home, his dad beat him. <laughs> his dad beat him when he arrived at home. His dad tricked him into coming home. But that's not who our God is, right? Our God already forgives, right? Everything is already finished. And so when we return, we receive love. Amen? Uh, aren't we grateful that our God is not like my friend's father? <laughs> if we go home and we're beaten, what's going to happen, right? There's some of you who are afraid that that's what's going to happen. No, God's not going to do that. Amen? So let's continue. And so we return. We return. And hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. And so if you memorialize who God is and know who God is, when you return, you can hold fast to love and justice. It's not saying make justice and love inside of you, but when you return, it, you will be able to hold on to it. And I didn't do chapter 10, but in chapter 10, there's this important thing here. In chapter 10, verse 11, uh, chapter 12. Sow for yourself righteousness, reap steadfast love. It says to sow righteousness and reap love. If you live with God, then righteousness, zedek, and hesed is continually being poured out upon you. And so when you live with God, it's not just simply living. Like, for example, I got married to my wife. And the moment I got married, it's not we just live together. No, we influence one another. And so this is kind of a funny phrase. Before I got married, I never looked at tteokbokki. I didn't even consider that as a meal. But my wife never ate meat. I thought everyone loved meat. And so when we first got married, I would try to treat her the best and say, let's go eat meat. Because I thought everyone loved meat. But my wife always wants to eat tteokbokki. Oh, why do you like this food that's not even food? But as I lived with her for 30 years, my wife starts to eat meat. And I start to eat tteokbokki. I actually enjoy tteokbokki. And honestly, I'm not good with spicy foods. But even now, I can eat spicy food. 
And so even as a husband and wife, this is the influence you have with each other. How much more if you live with God? If you are aligned to God, His influence flows into you. And so if you look at Psalms 119, uh, 113, we think that when we think we experience God, right? We call this knowledge of God, right? And so through meeting with Him, we experience Him. But if you look at Psalms 119, okay, that God also experiences us. This is golden words. Omniscient, omnipotent, who knows me already? Why does he experience me? Because this is love. If you love, you want to know them. Love has interest. Right? You are interested in your husband, Kidok, right? Does Kidok have interest in you? Are you sure? I don't think so. Are you sure? Do you have interest in Kidok? Are you sure? Okay, why do you get upset whenever I mention his name? Is that a weird question? Are you sure you're interested in your husband? Are you sure? This is love, okay? And so when God loves us, this is amazing, isn't it? It's not just, oh, fellowship for fellowship. No. And that's why Paul describes this as what? The love of Christ. It's not simply a weak man saying, oh, I like you, I love you. No. As God, right? When he says he loves you, think about the power and the efficacy of that love. Right? That he's willing to even lay down his life in order to love you. And that's why Paul can boldly say that who dares, who can cut, what can cut me off from the love of God? Nothing, nothing. All of you can come at me at once, but nothing can cut me off from the love of God. And so love is power. Love is confidence. So we need to receive this, amen? Everyone, receive this love. And so sow your self-righteousness and reap steadfast love. This means that because God gives, we need to receive. And why, do you are, why are you unable to receive? Because break up your fallow ground. And so speaking of Mark 4, Mark 4, it's because you are the road. Your heart is the road. You need to till it. You need to break it up so that you can receive what God gives. So let's go back to chapter 12. That's what verse 6 is describing. Verse 6 is alluding to chapter uh, 10, verse 12. And so we return, and we, because we return, we can hold fast to love and justice. And this love and justice allows us to remain directed at God. And so your structure of your personality needs to continue moving in this good circle 
right? God's love, God's righteousness directed towards God. And because you're directed towards God, you receive that love. That love has that righteousness and justice. And so you keep going and running, running. But let's say you go in less evil cycle. What's evil cycle? Because you're facing towards the world. You get information of the world. And so you doubt God. And so you go further from God. And this cycle gets on and on and on. And so now verse 7 to 14. Are you, are you being blessed? Uh, though I'm being blessed, I'm also in a hurry. Verse 7. Verse 7 to verse 11. Again, uh, an indictment against Israel. A merchant. And so, this is painting merchant, right? And why is they merchants? Because in the land of Canaan, the people who, the Canaanites were a people of merchants, right? And they were not honest in whose hands are false balances. He loves to oppress. And so Israel should not have received this influence, but they were influenced by the Canaanites becoming false. And so verse 8, Ephraim has said, ah, but I am rich. And so if you get to this point, then you're destined for death, right? I have found wealth for myself. In all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. It means they are completely blind to their wickedness. That they cannot find iniquity or sin in me. If you live by the Holy Spirit, if you live by faith, there are many things that will happen inside of you, but you will maintain righteousness. And what's evidence that you're maintaining righteousness? You will continually be repenting. Continually repenting, continually blocking wickedness and iniquity. That is the image of those who is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the image of those who maintain righteousness. Oh, I saw something impure. Please cleanse me. Purify me once again. Cover me with the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's say you hated someone. Then instead of, instead of hating them back, Ah, oh, Lord, Lord, cover that person with the blood of Christ. What happened? And so, and so this desire to maintain righteousness will continue to grow and grow. And so like a crazy man, you'll be continually, as if you're continually speaking to yourself. Because the Spirit of God is moving inside of you, you're having fellowship. Even right now, as I'm preaching, I'm listening to the voice of God. Even right now, I'm listening to the voice of God. And so this doesn't just happen. But you need to allow these spiritual characteristics to manifest inside of you. Maintenance of righteousness, continually repenting, continually cutting off wickedness and iniquity under the current of God. Continually turning your ear to His Word and looking, seeking to please Him and seeking to be filled in His Spirit. That's where your interest should be. If, that, if you find that, that that is what's being moving inside of you, then you realize that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? If you don't have this at all, then you need to repent deeply. Amen? And so if you maintain this life, then it's not just simply you maintain this life. In your personality, you'll see wickedness being removed out of your life, and the old self will lose its strength and the strength of the new self will multiply and multiply and multiply. And as this happens, your holiness grows and grows and grows. And as I always say, 
becoming filled with the Holy Spirit becomes easier and easier. That when you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, it is torturous. Without the presence of God, it is torturous. And you will experience this, the mystery of, of God abiding in me and I abide in God. So with my reason, you cannot understand what it means to be in God and God being in me at the same time. And yet, as this holiness grows, as you're characterized by the fullness of the Holy Spirit, these mysteries, these, these words of mystery will, will come to you. As you live by the Spirit, your flesh and your mind goes into the dominion of the Holy Spirit. And so look, it's like this. To some of you, when you don't uh, personify living in the Spirit, uh, when you experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit, it's not as if your entire mind is going into that dominion. You're still under the dominion of the flesh, even though you go into the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But like in Psalms 1-3, 103, David confesses, let all that is in me, within me, praise the Lord. This isn't a simple confession. David's flesh and soul is completely aligned with God. That's what this state is talking about. And so, let everything that is in me praise the Lord. Let everything that is inside me praise the Lord. Does that mean that there's demons inside of me? Does it mean that my stomach praises God? Does it mean my lungs praise God? No, 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 that's not what he's describing. That my flesh, my spirit, my mind is all aligned to God. And so if you maintain the fullness of the Holy Spirit, this is what you will find happening inside of you. But if not, even though you, your spirit may be filled with the spirit, the flesh, the strength of the flesh and your mind is continually to dominate you. And so there's some amongst you when you pray, you're, you're distracted. Even though you're praying in tongues, your thoughts are elsewhere. That, oh, did I go home? At home, did I turn off the gas? Oh, crap, I forgot, I forgot. Oh, did I? Or you'll even think about a movie you saw 20 minutes ago or 20 years ago. And so this distraction is evidence that your spirit and your flesh is not aligned. But if you maintain the fullness of the Holy Spirit, then this old self will die. And you will see your spirit and your mind be aligned. And these kinds of people, when they pray, will open the gates of heaven automatically. Their prayer, no matter what the devil tries to do, cannot distract it. When you say, get out, they will leave. How dare you? How dare you? Get out. It's when your spirit and your soul and your flesh are aligned. And so maintenance of the Holy Spirit isn't just simply regarding what's happening. No, it's talking about your entire being being aligned to meeting with Him in glory. And so when I preach, it's the same thing, right? I'm not preaching out of what I'm thinking. No, there's a tape recorder being put on play within me. My spirit and my soul is aligned to the Holy Spirit. And so this, word, and so this tape is being played back.
So let's maintain the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Moving on to verse 9. So are you following after me? Should I stop preaching? No, I should continue, right? So verse 9. I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. And so though they were slaves in Egypt, still God was their God. And I talked about this earlier. I will again make you dwell in tents as in the days of the appointed feast. And so because they failed to recognize their sin as, as described in verse 8, earlier, if you're not, as I said, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, Excuse me. Okay, so when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, even things that you don't think are sin, average people don't think are sins will be sin. But, uh, sorry, one moment. Give me a time to catch up. And so when you receive Him properly, it means that your spirituality is almost complete. That your desire for possession, for security, for for honor and fame, for pleasure, for idolatry, you will see that these things itself is sin. And when you are empty of these things, your heart is pure, and those blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. And so when these desires die from within you, when the old self-strength cannot dominate you, that is the state where we call a pure heart. And that is, that is when you will know what it means to see God. Now, of course, when we receive the word of God in faith, we see. But embodying that is a, little, is a different matter. So as these desires get destroyed, this, the, God's, the word of God, which is mysterious, becomes real, becomes reality. And so spiritual, spiritually speaking, it means your dimension is changing. And so the spirit, the spirit that God has created inside of you is not limited by space and time. Right? As Paul says to the Corinthians that my spirit is seeing you means that his spirit transcends space and time. And you've seen me do this too, right? And yet, and, and yet uh, your, your flesh and your mind move separately meaning that it cannot go with your follow your spirit to a different dimension and what that means is that God is not completely dominating your entire being and that's why it's difficult to pray even though God promises you that you can draw near to the throne of grace but you don't know if you're sitting before the throne or not. And maybe some of you have this experience. That you pray before the throne and it's been six hours, but it feels as if only a moment passed by. And so this is because your entire being is under the dominion of the Holy Spirit. That means you um, transcend the limitations of the flesh transcend the limitations of the mind but if you 
you know, um, are distracted and can't even pray for an hour. During the hour, that hour feels like six hours. That's a problem. And so, because this wickedness has been so ingrained into them, God judges them. What does he say? I will again make you dwell in tents. This tents is not, is not the celebration of booths, but rather they're being taken into exile. And so verse 10, I spoke to the prophets. Right? Many prophets came to Israel uh, calling them to repent. It was I who multiplied visions. Right? Whether Joel or Zechariah, these prophets proclaimed the visions that they see. And through the prophets gave parables. Right? In Isaiah 20, God gives these parables to Isaiah. Right? Showing them the, the shame. And he says to Jeremiah, For three years, eat the refuse of the streets. Right? Showing Israel the shame of God. And to Micah, what does God say? To cry like a camel, like a jackal in the wild wilderness. And so Michael cried for more, for a time. He's a prophet. And yet, like, and yet shamefully, crying, howling in the streets. Howling, right? Howling like like a camel, like 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 an ostrich, like a jackal. I, I believe it says jackal. Imagine if your pastor howled for three years. You probably leave this church, right? And so God called Israel to repentance, and yet they failed to repent. So continuing. If there is iniquity in Gilead, they shall surely come to nothing. And so iniquity is the sin of idolatry. And they should turn to God, but they've been continuing to turn to idols. And they shall surely come to nothing. And so this surely, surely come to nothing. What is that the result of? It's that they live for themselves. And then so Gilead, Gilgal, it's all idolatry. And so what happens? Their altars also are like stone heaps on the furrows of the field. Okay, uh, the, the, the field needs to be uh, tilled. But because of these stones, they cannot uh, till the soil. And so it is hard, like a paved road. A paved road where no seed can take, bear, take root. And so it has nothing. So it's useless. And so in your heart, as you're receiving the word of God, that word is tilling your heart. And so when you look at the parable of the sower, what is the field that bears fruit? It's the, it's the good soil. The good soil that welcomes the word of God, that welcomes paradokomai, the word. That as that word rece- as is received, that word um, tills the soil, that that soil cannot bear the weight of even the smallest seed. It's so humble that it embraces uh, even the smallest seed. And so that's why I do not receive the word in thought, but receive the word in your heart, in your spirit. Amen. No matter how quickly I may speak, you got to be able to absorb all these words. Okay, so moving on. Verse 12 to 14, last section. And we see Ephraim provoking God and God rising up to anger. Why? Because they do not repent. 
Even though God has provided the way for them to return, they do not return. And so God pours out his wrath. And so again, Jacob. Jacob fled to the land of Aram. What is this talking about? Right, as he runs away from his brother Esau, he flees to, to Aram, to the house of his, of his uncle Laban. Excuse me. <coughs> and so Aram is describing um, wandering. And so earlier, throughout all these prophecies, we see that Israel is wandering, 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 like a sojourner. And so remember that this was God's curse to uh, Cain when he committed the sin. And so those of you who do not realize that this wandering is torture, this is problem. Because Cain, until the moment he murdered his brother, he walked with God. And so when God told him that you shall flee from my face, Cain realizes what torture this is. Lord, this is terrifying. This is terrifying. But he got used to it. And because he gets used to it, he becomes far from God. And so what you need to realize is that losing the presence of God should be torture. Without the presence of God, we need to be able to be uh, terrified. Without the fullness of the Holy Spirit, we should be terrified. It's not from the perspective of, oh, wow, this person is so spiritual. No. Um, a person of God, a uh, people is all in or not. There is no middle ground. You are either all in or you're not in at all. If you live by the old self, you are not living by the new self. If you are living by the new self, you are not living by the old self. It's one or the other. There is no middle ground. There is no compromise. This is where you are deluded. Because you have not uh, embodied what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You are deluded into thinking that there's middle ground. No, it's all in or not. Are you new self or old self? And so ever since God created Adam, he provided only one way to live and that is to walk with God. If you don't walk with God, you are not living. That the moment she stopped walking with God, Eve was tempted. If you walk with God, it's new self. If you do not walk with God, you are old self. And so as you live for yourself, the devil comes. And so as I always say, the state of man, there's only two states. I give up on myself and live with God, or am I going to live for myself? If I live for myself, the devil will come. Right? Because officially, the, the serpent feeds on dust, right? And so we're almost finished. You're hungry, right? And so uh, they wander. And uh, Israel served for wife. And no matter how much I may love my wife, 
If they were to tell me to be a slave for 21 years to earn my wife, I don't think I could do that. Hey, do you think Kidok will do that for you? Stop joking around. Do you think Kidok will, will slave for 21 years for you? And so look. Will Peter slave 21 years for Angel? <laughs> and so, uh, in verse 11, I think, 11, or chapter, wait, uh, one moment. Okay, a child of God, nothing else can control a child of God except for God. That if something else is intervening, then you cannot go down the path that God has set for you. And so Jacob was unable to walk with God. And so that's why he wanders. And so he is under the dominion of people. And so he is moved by people. It's not that he slaved for 21 years because he loved Rachel. No, because Jacob's life is under the domination of people. So it's not that he worked hard, it's he became a slave. And as I said on the second day, if you live by Babylon, oh, it's good because I'm earning money. No, you are multiplying the debt of the flesh. And as that debt grows and grows and grows, you will be weighed down. And so above all else, we need to live by God. If not, this burden is going to get heavier and heavier and heavier. As it says in Romans 8, 12, that you are no longer indebted to the flesh. So let us no longer live as debtors to the flesh. Oh, I'm a father. I need to feed my children. I need to feed my wife. Oh, I'm a pastor. I need to preach. Oh, I need to raise up my church members. That's, and so because your spirit is so weighed down, you cannot draw near to the throne of grace. So verse 13, by a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt. This is speaking of Moses, yes? Right, we talked about this in chapter 11, verse 4, right? The cords of man, bands of love, right? Moses. And as I said yesterday, When the fact that God has entrusted his authority to man is great risk from the perspective of God. Because he has to entrust his power, his nobility, his dignity to man. And yet, why does he take that, make that bet? It's because of this love, this ahav. Let's say that I'm a king. And I'm going to give my seal to Taiwan. Why? It's because I trust him? Now that may be the case. But it's not just trust. Trust is not going to... It's not only trust. Why do I give it to him? Because he's my son. Because I love him. That's why. Understand what I'm saying? And so the fact that Jesus Christ came into this earth in the flesh... I have given you many ways to interpret this, but what this confirms is God's unending, amazing, limitless love 
That's why he put on the flesh. And so we're almost finished. Verse 14. Ephraim has given bitter provocation. Because they failed to receive this love, God's wrath is poured out. So his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him, meaning that they remain under judgment. So it's not just simply that their uh, flesh will die, but they will lose their, 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 their pride and their honor and, and their praise as Israel, that all of that is going to be taken from them. The glory of the name of God. That I have never given that glory to anyone, and yet you, Israel, who has received it, that, that glory will be taken from you. Look at how, how, how devastating this is. And so, do not, do not lose sight of the glory of the name of God. When we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, 100%, God answers that prayer. When we use the glory of that name, when we avail that name, the devil will tremble, will shake in fear. That is your dignity. Your dignity. Do not treat this name lightly. And so let us pray. Let us pray. So because I finished verse chapter 12, I do not need to go to Malaysia because tonight we'll do chapter 13 and tomorrow chapter 14. I will finish Hosea so I don't have to go to Malaysia. I will finish it no matter what. Okay, we'll have meeting gathering afternoon 2.30, so we'll be here at 2.30 p.m. There'll be cake waiting for you. And so we'll pray in the afternoon. And so, Lord, we thank you. Give all the glory to God. And go to lunch.